Welcome to the Business for Good podcast, a show where we spotlight companies making money by making the world a better place. I'm your host, Paul Shapiro, and if you share a passion for using commerce to solve many of the world's most pressing problems, then this is the show for you. Hello, and welcome to the 88th episode of the Business for Good podcast. Man, did we get a lot of feedback on the last episode with the president of Oatly. A lot of you folks wrote in via our website, businessforgoodpodcast.com, to say that you personally invested in Oatly and are praying, yes, literally praying, that the stock goes back up. I hear you. And others wrote in to give their feedback that they enjoyed hearing from a publicly traded company as opposed to the earlier stage startups we often feature on this show. Well, this episode is about another kind of early stage startup, but not a for-profit company. Instead, we are featuring a newly founded charity called Family Empowerment Media that was born out of the effective altruism movement. We have featured charities in the past on this podcast. In fact, our episode with New Harvest CEO Isha Dattar remains one of the more popular episodes. Go check it out if you didn't hear it. It's episode number 42. And while it is a charity, Family Empowerment Media tries to run like a business in that it relies heavily on measurable, evidence-based strategies that produce a significant return on their investment. Though the return that they're seeking is not a financial one, but rather is in the form of the social change they are working to create, mainly by empowering the use of family planning by millions of families that are seeking to have fewer children in the developing African countries. Started in the year 2020, the sole mission of this group is to create radio content featuring Nigerian families talking about their positive experiences with family planning. Not only are donors backing these social entrepreneurs, but so is the Nigerian government. Why? Well, on average, fertility rates in Nigeria stand currently at more than five children per woman. Generally speaking, the poorest countries tend to have the highest fertility rates, while wealthier countries have lower fertility rates. So while in many African countries, each woman has on average more than five children, in wealthier parts of the world like South Korea, Taiwan, and Japan, each woman has on average less than two children. The U.S. is also at less than two children per woman. However, immigration to the U.S. prevents the country's population from shrinking. Now, these disparate fertility rates have huge consequences, since smaller family sizes typically correlated with higher quality of life, both for the mother and for the children. Small family size is often associated with better health outcomes, better educational outcomes, more gender equality, and so on. But here's the thing. It's not that women in the developing countries necessarily want to have so many children. In fact, nearly a quarter of women in the developing world want to avoid pregnancy but don't use contraceptives. That results in 85 million unintended pregnancies per year. Not only does this put women in grave danger of maternal mortality, but such high fertility rates often doom families to inescapable cycles of poverty because of the burden of caring for so many children. And in Nigeria, you might think that there's a lack of contraceptive access, but That's just not really necessarily the case these days. In fact, in Nigeria, just 5% of married women said physical access was a reason that they don't use contraceptives. Lack of familiarity with contraceptives and concerns about the side effects are far more likely to deter contraceptive use. For instance, Family Empowerment Media cites a study in two Nigerian states finding that almost one in three women believes that using contraceptives can make a woman permanently infertile. So, 
enter family empowerment media with the goal of using radio communications to dispel these myths and empower women to take control of their bodies and choose both if and when they add children to their families. I've often viewed family planning, both in the developing and developed countries, as one of the most effective ways to help make the world a better place. Sadly, I just don't often see that many for-profit companies innovating in this space, leaving much of the social entrepreneurship to nonprofits like Family Empowerment Media. We did discuss male contraceptives in episode 61 with Your Choice Therapeutics, and we're going to do an upcoming episode on that topic too. But for now, enjoy hearing about a new charity's cost-effective work to put reproductive control in the hands of women who need it the most. Anna Christina, welcome to the Business for Good podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I have been following your work since the inception of your new organization just a couple years ago, and it's exciting. And I am uh, somebody who's particularly passionate on this issue for a lot of reasons, and I have struggled to figure out like whether there are uh, for-profit companies that can be helpful in this respect. And I know there's a, a good nonprofit organizations doing work and you are one of them. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about what you're doing with the Family Empowerment Media before we get into your background? Like in a nutshell, what does the organization actually do? Yeah. So uh, as you mentioned, we're a new nonprofit. We produce radio campaigns to address myths and misconceptions about contraception. Uh, we started uh, around two years ago, and uh, we now reach 5.6 million listeners in northern Nigeria with our programs. Great. And, and just so to be clear, how many million did you say? 5.6. 5.6 million people who, who have heard your ad so far. Cool. Well, congratulations. That's great. So before we get into this good work that you're doing, Anna Christina, what led you here? So, you know, if you look through your background, you obviously are very sustainability minded. You have spent your life trying to do good in the world. You even uh, co-founded a for-profit company called Fornix in Norway, where you're from, to try to help prevent and treat mental health issues. And now this. So what was it that led you to think, hey, and Instead of going from you know being a for-profit founder of a company, I want to actually start my own charity. Yeah, so I would say you know from a young age, I've thought um, a lot about you know what what I can do to have the largest impact possible in my career. And um, you know originally I was thinking that that could be in the for-profit sector, and I that's kind of where this work with Fornix came in. And uh, I do think that is uh, a very impactful path. Um, but as I got uh, more involved uh, in the effective altruism community, started thinking uh, more thoroughly as well around, you know, um, doing work which is uh, cost effective and really evidence based that impacts uh, the lives of the most vulnerable. I uh, made the transition. So my first encounter with the family planning space was when I was in uh, high school. And I uh, spent a summer where I did some research uh, on the sociocultural barriers to family planning uptake uh, in Tanzania. And I learned about, I suppose, how bad uh, it can be for families not to have the information um, uh, needed to navigate choices around uh, reproductive decisions. Uh, and that definitely made a, a big impact on me. Um, so as I, I was thinking more about, you know, uh, how I can have the largest possible impact, I came across the Charity Entrepreneurship Incubation Program, and they had spent a full year doing research into the family planning space. They researched around uh, 180 different ideas, 
and they recommended that a new nonprofit were to be started uh, working on mass media and specifically radio. So for me, a lot of things kind of came together there with uh, the focus on the cost area uh, and also the fact that they needed a founder uh, within the space. So, so those are some of the things that made me transition. So you were already a part of the effective altruism community when you were thinking about this. And so basically the idea was presented to you saying, hey, here's what we think is a white space in this area, essentially doing radio ad campaigns. And so you then filled that white space. That's what you're saying. Yeah. And the type of things that they looked at during uh, that research project was for interventions that are particularly cost effective and evidence based. Uh, and I think another thing with this intervention is the fact that it is very scalable. Um, you can just reach a lot of people through a single channel. Uh, so, uh, yeah, those were some of the things that made them recommend the intervention. Okay. So for those who aren't familiar with this space, Anna Christina, like, why does it matter? So people are not using contraceptives. They are using contraceptives. Why does this matter for the world? Yeah. So, you know, when it comes to... Um, uh, family planning, uh, and specifically the work that we're doing, uh, what you're seeing is an intention behavior gap. So you have, you know, families that are looking to space uh, or limit the number of children that they have, but they don't have access to uh, the information uh, or they're blocked by other things. And, you know, it's this matters for a number of reasons. Um, one of them is, you know, uh, it might be important for people uh, or it is important for people to be able to make those really important decisions with uh, access to information. Uh, it has a huge impact on mother's health um, and it has a huge impact on children's health and um, in general, uh, a lot of other things as well that kind of is related to, to the fact that you know, it's, it's so fundamental um, to, to the family and the society. Yeah. So you're doing this work in Nigeria and I want to get into what your actual content of the ads are saying, but uh, let me just first ask you before that, like how do people get access, let's say in Nigeria to contraceptives and why Nigeria? Yeah. So we chose Nigeria uh, through a very analytical process. We kind of started out completely neutral about uh, where we were going to bring this intervention in. And uh, we looked at about 70 countries and, uh, model things out to look at where we could have the, the largest impact and where uh, the intervention was the most needed. So uh, uh, Nigeria was shortlisted as uh, one of the top five countries. And then we broke it into five regions because Nigeria is huge and uh, it's, it's quite different in different uh, parts of the country. Uh, so those are some of the, yeah. And, and, and the things we were looking at in that location selection was, you know, what is the state of the maternal health uh, uh, there? What are the actual bottlenecks? Are, is there a supply to contraception? And then uh, what's the cost of operating in the different regions? So the north of Nigeria just stood out as a very good place to work from all of those angles. Um, in terms of where people access contraceptive, uh, contraceptives um, in the region that we work, uh, a lot of that is through public clinics. Um, so there is some availability of commodities there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and so uh, to my understanding, uh, Africa has on, on average the highest fertility rate per uh, woman in, in the world. Is that right? Meaning yeah. the, most, the most births per woman in the world. Yeah. Um, yeah. In the state that we work, uh, it's over six um, uh, births per woman. Um, mm -hmm. And then 
Yeah. Uh, right. and, and so what is the, what would you say is, is the concern that you're trying to address? So if, if women are having on average, you know, five or six children throughout the course of their life, what is the problem that you're trying to address here? Well, you know, it, it is the fact that when women have access to the information, um, all the information that, um, you know, they, they might want to have access to, to make decisions about their fertility, um, that they should have that access and then the impact that has on maternal and child health that sort of come from that. That is the issue that we are addressing. Okay. And how right now, um, when you think about like the barriers to contraceptives for women, let's say in Nigeria, like what is it that is preventing them from gaining access to contraceptives and, and reproductive freedom? Yeah. So before we launched our pilot, uh, we did a lot of research to identify those barriers. And uh, some of the things that came up are, for example, um, fear of side effects. So in the region that we work, 62% of women are either unsure or they think that they can get cancer from using contraception. Uh, a lot of people around the same number uh, percentage believe that um, it can cause sterility. Um, there are other things like lack of spousal communication, for example, that um, women are not comfortable discussing uh, these things with their husbands and, and stigma that are also preventing uptake. So, yeah, those are those are things that we are addressing with our content. So how are you addressing them? Like if I were in Nigeria and I turn on the radio and I hear, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and I hear one of the family empowerment media ads, what am I going to hear? Yeah. Uh, so we have two forms of content. We have... Um, our, our uh, campaigns are really intensive. So uh, one of the things we have are the short format shows, which are 60 seconds long ads, uh, which um, includes two characters discussing an issue and bringing forth uh, a message uh, in that short form. So those are generally quite uh, knowledge specific uh, and they go on air 10 times a day. And then we have our long form shows and they last for 20 minutes and uh, we have a range of different formats. So uh, we have call-in shows where people call up and uh, um, ask their questions and then we have experts that answer them uh, directly on air. We also produce a serial drama for this next rollout that uh, we're producing. So uh, for that one, you follow actually three families over an eight week uh, or eight episode long uh, drama. Uh, where you have different characters that are encountering new information and integrating that and um, um, finally, you know, uh, start start using contraception in, in, in many of the cases. Uh, we also have uh, celebrities and uh, religious leaders and other uh, important uh, role models uh, on air um, for, for different forms of shows. Uh, yeah. Great. So I, I know that you're a very evidence-based organization. So what are you doing to ensure that before you spend your money running these ads, that they actually are going to be effective in increasing contraceptive use? Yeah. So our format is based on the best available evidence. So we spent spent a lot of time figuring out, you know, how, what type of format um, uh, does seem to be the most impactful uh, when producing these types of shows. Uh, and these type of campaigns. And then we do a lot of um, prototyping as well. And we look for early indicators of behavior change. So that are thing, uh, like obvious things like people understand them and they can retell the message and uh, they, they get the right things out of the different shows and, and ads. 
um, uh, but also things like putting them on air and testing uh, how how many have actually told their friends about this, for example, and then uh, longer term to um, to measure uh, the the more long-term indicators we're doing larger surveys and we hope to do an rct in the coming years too so what is the result like have you i mean i'm sure you have anecdotal results from women who are using contraceptives who may not have otherwise used them but what are the results like have you found that you know for every ad that you run a specific number of people's behavior has changed yeah so one of the things we did during our pilot uh was we worked with a call center and then for every uh ad um, at the end of every ad that we ran, we had the name, uh, like the number of that call center. And then we were able to track, you know, how many people called in. Um, and uh, partly that was to learn, you know, what type of material resonates more. And we should uh, also spend more resources on in the future. And um, we found a five that the call center got five times more um, calls from that. So those are some, some early indicators. Uh, this pilot was primarily, you know, targeted towards learning to improve the content more. And then, you know, uh, uh, yeah, but all of the leading indicators look really good are the, uh, the way people also rate our shows in terms of how entertaining they are and how, how much they learned from them, uh, are between eight and nine, um, out of 10. Um, so that's also another, uh, quite promising early result. Nice. So, so, how cost effective is it then, Anna Christina? Like, you're in order to run these ads, you're re- you're reaching over five million people. Like, how much have you had to spend to have that type of reach? Yeah, it's 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 a very cheap program um, per person. Um, I mean, it costs us uh, fourteen dollars for one minute of airtime. Uh, so our our best. <laughs> Sorry. For, so one minute of airtime reaches how many people? Uh, so that reaches the audience base of uh, five point six million listeners. So just to be clear, fourteen dollars to reach five point six million people. Uh yeah, it's it's a very cheap. <laughs> it's very. Cheap. I mean, we do get really good rates because we have a, a good relationship with the radio station, and uh, they're they're giving us some discounts for uh, for doing these types of programs, given the the fact that they are beneficial for for the health of the community. Um. So yeah, we have um our best estimate for long term uh, cost effectiveness is uh, $2,600 per life saved. Um, yeah, and those are based on the results that uh, Development Media International had on their uh, RCT in uh, Burkina Faso with discounts on um, sort of generalizability and, and so forth. Hmm. And so whose life is saved for those $2,600? The life of a mother who would have died during childbirth or the life of a child who would have died in poverty? Like, What, what is the, the life that is being saved there? Yeah, so that's actually only taking into account the uh, life of the mother. Um, so uh, it's um, if you think about the risk of dying as a result of an unintended pregnancy, uh, that's that's sort of what we're looking at, and then uh, the number of unintended pregnancies that uh, are are averted. Yeah, I mean, it, it does seem to me like the benefit. Obviously, that's a very good benefit, but because high fertility rates are so highly associated with being trapped in poverty, that by working in this realm with this type of an intervention, you may be the the good that you may be doing may be much more than preventing maternal deaths, which is of course a good in and of itself. But to help people escape poverty and have a higher quality of life uh, seems like the uh, like a hundred percent of the time that your work is having an impact. That's an impact that it's having. 
Absolutely. You know, if you take into account all the benefits of uh, the family planning intervention, uh, it does start looking quite ridiculously <laughs> cost effective. Uh, I mean, also thinking about things like um, the impacts on education as well. And um, there's also a lot of evidence showing the health of um, the impact on health of children and um you know, on, uh, under nutrition, even just from spacing, bet- like increased spacing between pregnancies, um, uh, reducing, you know, the risk of, of children dying before the age of five. There's all these additional benefits that, uh, you know, if we modeled them, it would be uh, <laughs> like even more <laughs> uh, cost effective. Mm. Yeah. So let me ask you something, Anna Christina, I'm sure you get asked often. So, you know, you're, you're essentially a, a Norwegian who is running a program uh, trying to help Nigerian women have fewer children. Is there an optical problem for you here in terms of whether or not there are Nigerians running this program? I know you have a lot of uh, Nigerian input into the ads and that the people who are in the ads are Nigerian themselves. Um, but is this a criticism that you have come under? And if so, how do you respond to it? Yeah, so, you know, we have a model, um, like we work directly with local partners in the communities that we operate in. So that basically means that we uh, identify an, a grassroots organization, um, an organization working in that region. And then uh, we are uh, doing the whole project sort of with uh, them. So we sort of stand for a lot of uh, the research work and then we involve um, stakeholders um, in, in that whole process. So that's that's been a way for us to, you know, make sure that we um, do um, this stakeholder engagement well and that, you know, we, um, yeah, uh, make sure to, to not make any mistakes uh, in that regard. We also have a partnership with the Ministry of Health in the region that we work. So they review all our material and um, give us input on that before it goes on air. So, uh, I mean, the thing is, we we haven't been asked from anyone like in Nigeria about this. And uh, I think that's because the health benefits are just so uh, obvious to the people in the community. Um, so yeah, I guess that's what I have to say about that. Sure. And why women only? Like, uh, is there not a possibility for vasectomies? You know, if there are families that already have had a couple kids and they don't want more, um, is there an option for male contraception here? So it's, it's very uncommon in, in the region that we work, uh, for, uh, uh, to have that quite a bit of our material is targeted towards men. I would say maybe 40%. Um, and, uh, in terms of having, you know, male characters that, uh, take part in the dramas and so forth. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, we, we actually don't encourage specific methods in our, uh, uh radio shows. We encourage, um, our listeners to, uh, go to the primary healthcare clinic where they can get more information about what methods, uh, might suit them, uh, best. So, uh, and then we just assume that, you know, uh, at the clinic, I suppose they, uh, um, you'll have like the general distribution of what methods people choose there. Mm-hmm. And, and is vasectomy one of them? So I know you said earlier that there is a common misperception uh, among folks in the region that using contraceptives could have side effects. Um, I, I was reading that there are some people who were basically saying if you put an IUD, it can move around in your body and harm you and, and other myths surrounding some of this stuff. But for uh, male contraceptives, obviously condoms are one option, vasectomies are another. Are those things that are popularly used in Nigeria? 
Yeah, condoms as well are very uncommonly used. Uh, so, um, so yeah, it's it's something we've thought about. You know, uh, if we should have more material that uh, presents some of these other options. This show here, we like the next. Uh, we're launching a nine month long campaign uh, in about a month, and one of the shows we pr- uh, sort of give more in depth information about the about five methods. Um, those two are not amongst them. Um, but uh, but yeah, I suppose there there is some <laughs> potential to do some more communication on those uh, uh, methods too. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, this is uh, you know it seems like very important work, obviously, Anna Christina. And I'm wondering like how much money has your nonprofit organization raised so far, and how much do you think that you need in order to effectuate the goals, which I, I presume would be uh, seeing tangible reductions in fertility rates. Is that is that what you would say the goal is? Well, I, I would say the goal is to, um, you know, support um, uh, women to um, realize their family planning intentions. And uh, that does result in uh, fewer unintended pregnancies. Uh, and then, you know, an effect of that is improving maternal uh, health and child health and, and many other things. Uh, we've raised around $500,000 in total. And uh, yeah, we're looking, the thing about our intervention is that it is very, very scalable. So funding is definitely one thing that is, I know if we, uh, yeah, our, our um, projected budget for the next um, year is around 850,000, which would allow us to also uh, start scaling up in three other locations. So having access to that amount of funding would allow us to, uh, you know, scale our programs uh up a lot more and then over time you know over the next 10 years we have this path to you know spending uh around 10 million a year which would allow us to like work across a lot of or all the uh, countries in africa where we currently think this intervention um would be cost effective to um to deal with the, uh the specific problem sure and how many folks work right now at the organization so it's about uh, six people who are um, hired directly to Family Empowerment Media, and then we work with a bunch of partners within uh, Nigeria too. So depending on where, uh, where we are in the process, uh, for example, during actual production, there's a lot of people, and during like our surveys, there's a lot of people. We can can be up to uh, maybe 25 at most. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, once those specific projects are over, it's, it's the six of us that... Uh, uh, that is sort of hired uh, directly. Cool. So let me ask you then, this seems like, you know, obviously a problem that requires some nonprofit organization interventions like what you are doing, but there obviously is a connection to the for-profit realm. Obviously the contraceptives are being paid for by somebody and being produced by some company. So do you think that there is a role or more of a role for the private sector in the for-profit space to be getting involved in family planning in the developing world? And if so, like, what do you think those companies are? So if you're going back and you're thinking, I'm going to found a, a company, not just a, a nonprofit, but a company to start addressing family planning issues, like, what do you think are some of the white space opportunities for entrepreneurs out there who want to do something to uh, put an oar in the water and help advance family planning? Yeah. Um, so, you know, in certain regions, there is still a supply issue. So, you know, we work only on the information and I suppose the demand side of things. And there are a lot of regions that, you know, if we could go in there and um, have our programs on air, 
uh, and they would actually have access to commodities. That would be really impactful. But currently, it, there's just not. Um, so, so that might be, uh, you know, that that's a problem to to be solved. Um, whether that is, you know, something that a for profit could do, and uh, uh, in terms of like how. Um, like the, the additional barriers to starting a, a for-profit in that space, I, I'm not quite sure, but that's definitely a problem. Uh, I suppose as well, you know, uh, improving some of the uh, commodities that, that are available. And, you know, uh, for example, it's, it's, a, it's an issue in some of the regions that uh, we, we've considered working in, in where uh, there might not be uh, enough health workers to, um, that are trained to insert some, some commodities. And then, uh, yeah, maybe like developing something that could be a bit easier to use um, that are also not having too many impacts on uh, hormonal systems and so forth. So I think there's some, and I know there's some exciting work on that R&D front too. Uh, that might also be a space for for a for-profit maybe. Yeah, you know, we had on the show um, some time ago a, a Y Combinator-backed company called Your Choice Therapeutics, which is basically trying to develop male contraceptives because, you know, right now it's basically condoms and vasectomies, and uh, neither one of those are often that popular with men. And so the question is, is there something that uh, something else that could be maybe less invasive or less inconvenient? And so it, it does seem like there is a technological white space here and to create uh, more options for for male contraceptives. There's also, and we're going to do an upcoming episode on this, uh, no scalpel vasectomies now, which are basically, um, you know, you don't have to actually cut open the scrotum. It's a much uh, less invasive operation to do. And so hopefully uh, advances in those type of techniques will also uh, lower the barrier that some men may face to or that some men I always may perceive to uh, be a part, an active part of the uh, family planning themselves. Yeah, that's that's really exciting. I am definitely excited to see the future of those types of solutions. Yeah, cool. So in the family planning world, or maybe even not, are there any companies just that you wish existed? Um, are there any things that if you were going back and you weren't running this, you think, hey, maybe this is a good company, or you're thinking, you know, you hope somebody listening will start this company to do something on this issue that would be helpful? Yeah, um, so I think there's quite a lot of potential in thinking through solutions to like improve, um, you know, social uh, interactions. I think, uh, you know, having more people connecting, uh, I can imagine just, you know, enabling that in, in a better way with, especially like people in cities. Um, I think that's, that's a space that I'm pretty interested in. I'm very interested in the, um, uh, clean meat and, uh, uh, like the future of that. Um, uh, I would love to see more work. I mean, this is definitely something uh, your your listeners and a lot of the people in your show has has been uh, or are working on. Uh, so those are also spaces I, I'm excited about. I would also say that you know starting a, a for profit and uh, being a part of Founders Pledge, for example, and and uh, giving away money uh, um, when exiting or you know at at a point after having earned uh, quite a lot of money is also a very impactful thing that. I think uh, it would be exciting for, for listeners to consider. 
Cool. Yeah. And just for folks not familiar with the Founders Pledge, it's basically a, an initiative where entrepreneurs commit prior to making their uh, their fortunes that they'll donate a portion. I don't I think is it is it one percent or is it more? I forget what it is, but there's some there's some pledge to give away some portion of what you may make if you ever have a successful exit. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, of course, you know the irony is that uh, most startups fail. So a lot of these, com- you know, a lot of these uh, founders who make these pledges won't have anything to give. But uh, those that do might have spectacular amounts. So uh, hopefully they will stick to it. It's not a binding pledge. Nobody can sue you if you don't uh, if you don't fulfill it. But hopefully the social pressure of having publicly committed to doing it will lead you to be a little bit more charitable uh, once you make your millions. So uh, maybe those uh, those founders who exit will be listening uh, to this today and think that family empowerment, excuse me, family empowerment media is the thing that they want to support. So if that is the case, Anna, Christina, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, please uh, get in touch. Um, Maybe we can put my email in the uh, description or something like that. If if you can also visit our uh, website and definitely keen to talk to people who are excited about our work. Okay. Well, we'll put your email in the show notes for this episode, which is going to be at businessforgoodpodcast.com. And finally, Anna, Christina, you know, there's a lot of people who may be impressed by what you're doing. They're psyched to see somebody who started her own organization and is doing good in the world already so quickly. So have there been any resources that were helpful for you that you would recommend to those people who are interested more either in this space or in anything that's been helpful for you in your journey? Yeah, I would say maybe I have two pieces of advice. Um, I suppose one of them is just taking all the opportunities you have to, you know, learn the skills needed to start something. So that could be, um, you know, early on taking on um, volunteering opportunities and really learning about how different organizations are run. Um, And um, yeah, uh, it could also be um, internships at organizations that you are where you're really impressed by the impact they're having. So that that's one thing, just taking on uh, the big opportunities for growth. Uh, and then the other thing is to, you know, read, <laughs> read a lot maybe uh, and try to, to learn through there's, there's such a wealth of information of, uh, you know, good books that um, allows you to get an insight into an issue and just being, you know, self self-driven, uh, and, and seeking out those uh, that knowledge, I think you know can can really enable you over the the long term to uh, to get a really good understanding of different fields. Are there any books that are particularly useful for you? Yeah, I would say uh, one book I, I really love is Poor Economics. It, it's just a very evidence based and practical. Um, um, description of what we actually know about what works to uh, address some of the big challenges for for the global poor. Um, a big fan of the lean startup and um, uh, principles of Ray Dalio. I think they they're both uh, great um, uh, books uh, for people who are looking to build organizations, especially uh, learning organizations. Uh, and uh, yeah, I would say that. Uh, one of the things for us as as an organization is we've had this very strong like uh, lean startup, I suppose, uh, methodology being being used from the beginning of just, you know, once you uh, get started identifying what is the big thing that you have to validate or learn in order to get to the next stage uh, and then um, going out and doing that right away. <laughs> so if you're going to fail, you're going to fail uh, fast and reducing the uncertainties of of, of the work quickly. And then uh, finally, maybe uh, 
So I want to recommend uh, The Life You Can Save of, of Peter Singer or any you know, uh, similar books to that uh, as an introduction to effective altruism. Great. Well, we've had uh, Peter Singer on the show before, and we'll link to that episode as well for folks who want to check it out at businessforgoodpodcast.com. And I have uh, read or at least heard of all the books you mentioned, except for one. So for those of you who also maybe have not heard of it, I'm just going to restate it. This will be in the show notes too, but it's Poor Economics, A Radical Rethinking of the Way to Fight Global Poverty, which looks like a really interesting book. And uh, I am putting it on my to read list as well. So thanks so much for that recommendation, Anna Christina. And thanks to you for all that you're doing to try to make the world a better place. Really grateful to you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. We hope you found use in this episode. If so, don't keep it to yourself. Please leave us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. And as always, we hope you will be in the business of doing good. <laughs>